Thank you, worship team. It has been a glorious day for me to gather with you this morning and worship our Lord and hear a message of God's grace from my dear friend, Pastor Bill, and then be able to go to your church plant and South Queensbury and to enjoy a service with Pastor Adam. And we are grateful for your partnership in our network as well, brother. And then we enjoyed uh, uh, a little lunch as we watched Arsenal win their match today. Amen. You, you, you actually do have people who make noises in church. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And, and even on top of all of this, I, I, I apologize. I think the Americans are finally going to beat the Europeans in the Ryder Cup. And so we, we have a day full of blessings, yes. And now, and now we get to worship again. Psalm 84. The pandemic took away important things from us, did it not? For me, it took away some of my favorite cafes that my wife and I would go to on date nights, the ability to go to a movie theater, the ability to go watch a live sporting event. All of those things were taken away. The things that were added were not as fun like Zoom meetings. Those were added, and I, I detest those even now. But the one thing that was taken away that I will never forget were the six weeks in which my church closed its doors. And I know you experienced that as well. There's never been a time in my Christian life where I spent so many weeks apart from my church family. Never been such a season where I felt isolated from my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then week after week, I would enter into an auditorium much like this, in a dark auditorium, and speak to a camera and do my best to teach God's Word, knowing that the church had not gathered because it's impossible for a local church to be a local church unless we gather physically face to face to worship. And, and I, I have come to believe that it is true that we take advantage too often of the blessings in our life. And I learned that hunger grows for the things that you once took for granted when they're removed from you. And now having the worship of God's people in God's place, indwelt by God's Spirit, worshiping and celebrating God's Son, I, I've come to appreciate that now more than ever. And my desire to be in God's house when God's people gather have increased. And so for this season... I am grateful, and I feel in many ways I can identify with the psalmist in Psalm 84 much better now post-COVID than before, and so I want to share with you this beautiful song of the worshiper who longs to be in God's house with God's people. This song 
was written by the sons of Korah. And I believe the, the context of, of this song is similar to the, the songs of ascent that we see in the book of Psalms, those songs where, where as the worshipers were walking up to Mount Zion, to the temple, and they were singing praises and they wanted their, their words to ascend, not just to the temple, but all the way to heaven, these songs of ascent. This is very similar but in actuality, this is a, a pilgrim's song. It was a song that was written, I believe, to honor those pilgrims who were making their way to one of the annual feasts or festivities in the annual Jewish calendar. You see, unlike the privilege that we have to gather in worship every week, in the Old Testament, most often, even the most diligent of worshipers would only go to the temple three times a year. During the Passover, of course, and then Pentecost. And then around this very time of the year where they would gather to celebrate tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And so they would they would gather just only a few times a year, and, and often the, the, the journey to make it to Jerusalem was quite difficult, walking on foot usually, some miles and some hundreds of miles. Now, the, the sons of Korah were a special group of Levitical priests. This song was written to the choir master, to this special clan of Levites that came from particular fellow by the name of Korah. And the Korites, these, uh, this special clan of, of Levitical priests, their responsibilities were, were several things. First of all, they provided the worship team for those who would gather during the festivals and the festivities. And so they were musicians, and they were also gatekeepers. The temple that Solomon had built was a glorious place, and there was an inner court and then an outer court, and, and, and there were regulations as to who was allowed to enter, and the sons of Korah, they, they, they guarded the gates and the courts. They, they would have been the ones, Pastor Bill, with the steward badge <laughs> as you entered into the courts. And it could be very well that one of the sons of Korah who uh, was responsible for leading in worship and guarding the, the gates, who may often only be called for duty once a year, maybe for two weeks up to two months for an entire year, that, that he was finally called, uh, working in his farm, maybe someone come and came and said, it's time, you get to go to Jerusalem and serve in God's house for the upcoming festival or feast. And, and this son of Korah then would begin to make his journey to Jerusalem, miles, maybe hundreds of miles. And as he went, he sang this song. How lovely are your dwelling places, Lord Almighty. The word Lord Almighty there, I might suggest, is a reference to the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. 
And four times we're going to see this statement, Lord Almighty or Lord of hosts, the, the, the Lord of His people, the Lord of the multitudes of His people, especially when they assemble, the assembling of the people, recognizing the Lord of hosts. And, and, and this song really is structured around this, this repetition of two things, this statement, Lord Almighty or Lord of hosts. Four times we'll see this. And the blessing of the one who is coming to worship. Three blessings, four declarations of the Lord. In the first place we see it here, as, as the pilgrim begins to contemplate what it's going to be like when, they, when I finally make it to Zion. When I finally see the glorious temple, when I finally see those dwelling places where the Lord of his people, the Lord Almighty, has rested his glory there, and we will be able to worship. And so as you can imagine, his hunger and his desire to be there grows in verse 2 where he says, my, my soul longed, it, it even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and, and my flesh are singing for joy to the living God. And I particularly like the fact that they describe our God as the living God. Yes, this pilgrim could not wait to be gathered there with possibly thousands of worshipers, all singing praises in joy to the Lord Almighty. What a place. What a place it is when God's people gather in God's place to worship the living God. Charles Spurgeon, he, he called Psalm 84 the sweetest of the Psalms because it describes the dearest place on earth. You see, for Spurgeon, there, there was no dearer place on earth than when God's people gathered to worship. There, Spurgeon said, a, a group of believers become a priesthood, a holy and sacred body, a, a worshiping community. What dear place can there be? What more precious place can there be that when the believers assemble, and this pilgrim was desiring this, the great temple that King Solomon had built Oh, what is a glorious place. I mean, just the architecture was astounding in, in every detail. But even though the, the, the facility and the edifice was glorious, this pilgrim desired to be with God's people. He desired to worship in those courts. And he had a growing hunger and thirst to worship. And I like that. I like the idea of being hungry and thirsty to worship. And the Lord reminds us that those who are hungry and thirsty for anything that is righteous, that they will be filled. My mother always told me that when you go to someone's home, you should always 
go hungry and not leave anything on the plate. That's caused a few pounds now as I'm getting older. But I try to follow that principle. By the way, it's a lot easier to empty my plates in Scotland than it is in England. I just have to make that confession. Your food here is wonderful. But do you come here hungry? When the saints at Charlotte's Chapel gather, do you come here thirsty? Do you come here for an appetite? That your pastors have, for the week or weeks ahead, been been preparing to serve you. And when you receive the nourishment from the Word of God, do you leave satisfied and willing to serve? There is a hunger that that only God-centered worship can fulfill. I'm so glad I'm here in a place that desires that. Verse 3, the bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, my King and, and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And then the songwriter adds a little notation called Selah, which just simply reminds us that this is beautiful poetry. Just pause for a moment and reflect on the thought of God's people ever praising the Lord in that place of worship. Of course, the Psalms are filled with beautiful metaphors. And one of the beautiful metaphors that is recorded in verse 3 is that of of some lowly sparrows and swallows who would have made their nests in the cracks and the crevices of the glorious temple, somewhere around the arches where there's just a a little covey or or just a little hole, a, a, a small sparrow would have found a place there to build her nest. And there lay her eggs and hatch her young. Or, or a swallow, such a worthless bird in, in, in anyone's estimation. She might find just a little crack there in the temple, just a little place to build a small nest and, and, and there raise her young. And as this pilgrim was, was walking step after step and mile after mile, he thought how glorious it would be for me to be like that swallow, that, that sparrow who gets to enjoy living right there in God's house, always hearing the praises being lifted up by God's people. And so in envy, he says, the the bird has made her house, the swallow for her young, right there, so close to that altar where the true worshiper knew there in that most holy place the presence of God and the glory of God manifested in itself and, and the birds were closer to there than, than the worshiper was and he, he longed to be there. He, he wished he was a small swallow or sparrow. And there's some lessons I think that these least of creatures provides for us. 
Is it true that even the lowliest person in the world becomes great in God's kingdom when they become a true worshiper? And is it not true that it's a good thing for the sparrow to raise her young that close to the glory of God? And since this is is youth night, I would say to you young people, it is a tremendous gift of God's grace that you are in church, especially a church like this one, while you're young. Stay. Stay. Don't leave this place. Don't wander out on your own. Stay with God's people. And if you're raising children, learn the lesson of the swallow. And raise your children in church. So here in verse 4, we see the first of the three blessings. The first blessing is this. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. How blessed are those who make their way to gather to God's house to worship with God's people. When I was young, going to church often felt like an obligation. It felt like a duty. And my father would say, as long as you live under my roof, when the church doors are open, you will be there. And I'm so very glad that they drug me to church. (laughs) Because at some point in time, the duty of going to church became a desire. And now I have a desire. And I've experienced this blessing of those who, who dwell in God's house. And I'm, I'm reminded that one of the tragedies of this pandemic as a pastor has been for me to watch people have a break from the regular gathering. And now... They're gone and they will not come back. They're no longer heeding what the author of the letter to the Hebrews says that we must consider this. That every time we gather, we have the opportunity to stimulate and motivate one another towards love and good deeds. So therefore, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves. When God's people gather, you gather. And when you gather, you're blessed. How blessed are those very blessed are those who dwell in your house. The gathered church becomes a body. The gathered church functions as a glorious bride. We are the branches of Christ. And we are a building, a living building. We are living stones. In the gathered church, it, it, it provides an opportunity for there to be a pillar planted in a community. And yes, that's where we derived the name of our network. From 1 Timothy 3 and and, and 15, where Paul is telling young pastor Timothy to tell the people of God in the church of Ephesus as to how they must conduct themselves as God's house, God's family, God's church, a pillar and a foundation of God's truth. And every time you gather, you become that. 
Tonight you become a pillar for the city of Edinburgh, a pillar of God's truth, which is so desperately needed here. And so we, we must develop this hunger for worship. And, and secondly, I, I think as we turn to the next stanza in verse 5, there's this sense where we must allow our desire for worship to overcome the difficulties that we must endure. The second blessing in verse 5. How blessed is the man who finds their strength in you, in whose heart are the pathways of the pilgrimage or, or in whose heart are the highways that, that lead to Zion. And even though there is a necessary passing through the valley of Baca, they, the true worshiper, makes it a spring so that the early rain covers it with blessings. And so they go from spring to spring, from difficulty to difficulty, from strength to strength. Every one of them appearing before God in Zion. Now again, remember the pilgrim's journey. And as he is making his way to Jerusalem, at times he finds himself on a glorious mountaintop, but at other times he finds himself in a very lowly, desolate valley. Now there is no such thing or there is no such place as the Valley of Baca. Again, uh, in the poetry of this song, it's a metaphor. Baka means tears. It means sorrow. It means suffering. So this song turns, and it begins to describe the difficulties of the worshiper. The times when you're in the desert, the times of sorrow, the times of tears, the time when God would have you to suffer. And yet, for the suffering worshiper, there is strength provided and there's a blessing attached to that strength, uh, the strength that comes from the Lord, just, just as these young people led us in singing tonight, my strength comes from the Lord. And how blessed is the man whose strength is in you, Lord, whose heart is there on the highways that lead to Zion. And even though at times you, you ask me to walk through that valley that is symbolized by the shadows of death, I do not have to be afraid. I know you're with me. I know that your rod and, and your staff, they comfort me. And I know that your goodness and your mercy will be with me all the days of my life. This valley of Baca is, is the necessary heartache and the necessary pain and the necessary sorrow that the worshiper must endure. But note, when the difficulty comes, we are simply passing through them. And the only time that we stop is to dig a spring an interesting metaphor. 
Passing through, right? We're not going to stay in the the valley of death. We're not going to stay in the valley of sorrow. We're passing through, but we're going to take a moment and dig out a well. We're going to take just a moment and dig a spring and allow our tears to begin to fill up that spring with water. And at some point in time, the mercy of God, like the the fresh spring rain, will fill up pools of water so that we can endure the valley. Because now we just travel from spring to spring to spring. And every time we drink of the life-giving water, we go from strength to strength. Do, Do you know... Maybe the most important thing you can do when you're asked to go through the valley of sorrow is to dig a well for the next wanderer, the next pilgrim. That they might then also receive life-giving water from the spring that you dug. And maybe your journey along with that pilgrim, maybe your willingness to come alongside that sufferer is the very thing that they will need to provide the springs of life to go from strength to strength. You see, there in the valley is where we meet our good shepherd. It's there in the valley where the Spirit of God can turn our mourning into gladness, our sadness to joy, our sorrow to strength. And and we have to find strength in the valley so that we can know how to strengthen others as well. Is this not why Jesus entered into the valley of Baca for us? That he was willing to, to spend his 40 days in the wilderness, starving and isolated. So that the very moment when he was tempted by Satan and overcame Satan's temptation, can you not see Jesus digging a spring for us so that when we're tempted by sin, we can deny it just like Jesus denied it? And did he not go through the valley of Bacal on the cross for us? Did he not take time on the cross and dig out a spring for us that both his tears and his precious blood began to fill. There, that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And you and I, sinners, plunged beneath that flood, we lose all our guilty stains. You see, it is for this reason that we can be true worshipers. Because Christ has gone to the valley for us so that we can just join the chorus of of other worshipers saying through many trials and toils and snares, I've already come. And His grace has brought me here this far. And His grace It'll lead me home. The worshiper, the pilgrim who knew he was in the valley had this divine gift to look beyond the valley to Zion, to see beyond. Don't lose sight when you're suffering. 
that there's something beyond the suffering. Don't be so short-sighted when you're going through depression or fear or sorrow that all you can see is, is, is those difficulties. Look beyond them. Look all the way to heaven. That's where God is leading you. And he will allow you to go from strength to strength to overcome this and to endure this. This last stanza pauses to reflect on the the glory of God and then tells us that there is a, a certain amount of trust that we become blessed with if we are a true worshiper. The pause to to bring glory to God in verse 8 and 9 says, O O Lord God Almighty, or O O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Pause. Pleading with the Lord to hear their prayer. Behold our shield, O God, and and look upon the face of your anointed, or or the face of your anointed one. Was Was that Solomon they were talking about? Or under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when the songwriter wrote, look upon the face of your anointed one, was that Jesus there in the shadows of this song? And then the psalmist, he, he, he makes this glorious statement in verse 10. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand days outside of your courts. And I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. As this pilgrim is making his way to Zion and and he can't wait to enter into those courts, he said, just one day, I would just rather have one day there with God's people in God's place, worshiping the living God, than a thousand days elsewhere. And cannot we say the same as Christians when the people of God gather this Lord's day? I would not replace the Lord's day that I have had here in Edinburgh for a thousand days elsewhere. One day, better than a thousand other days. One day worshiping, because that is what I, I'm made to do, than a thousand days just living for myself. I would rather, if, 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 if it were such that I come to worship here at Charlotte Chapel and, and the steward said, I'm sorry you don't have a ticket. You can't come in today. Then I would say, give me a moment, and I would go and get a blanket. And I would just nestle myself in the doorway and say, I'd rather be at least in the doorway of God's house than dwell inside the tents of the wicked. Young people, do you understand this? This day in God's house is more important than a thousand days living for yourself uh, pursuing your own self-centeredness or, or, or your vices or, or your idols. One day of worship is greater. And, and so we, we must not take for granted, we must not take for granted the opportunity that we have to gather and to worship. 
Oh, the problem of living in the U.S. is that Americans, they, they live leaning forward. It's, it's always, what's next? What, they never stop. It's just, what's next? What's next? What's the next experience? What's, what's the next activity? What's the next thing that I can purchase? What's next? What's next? They, 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 just, they have a, such a hard time just, just pausing for Selah and worship and Sabbath. And sometimes they are in such hot pursuit of their idols that they forget one day in God's house is so much better than all the other days that they can pursue. For the Lord, God is sun and shield. Verse 11. The Lord gives both grace and glory. That's something you should think about. He is our provider Son, he is our protector, shield. He provides salvation, grace. And in us, he reveals his glory. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Oh, Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, the last blessing. How blessed is the one who trusts in you. He blesses us, he protects us, and he can be trusted. He can be trusted. If you're not a Christian here tonight, I want you to know something. The living God can be trusted. What more must he do than send his own son to die on your behalf on a cross? What more must he prove than that son died, was buried, and he rose again, proving his power over death and sin and the grave. And now the living God simply offers you both grace and glory. And he wants to bless you if you'll trust in him. You know, it, it must have been a, a most glorious scene when that pilgrim finally made his way through the valley and started to, to ascend up the steps to Jerusalem, up Mount Zion, and finally there, he arrives in Solomon's, at Solomon's temple, and he enters into the courtroom, and he says, I'm ready to worship. And he worshiped with God's people. How fortunate he was. But how unfortunate is it that his people stopped worshiping the living God. How unfortunate was it that Israel failed to worship in spirit and in truth. And rather than understanding that it is better to have one day there than a thousand days elsewhere, that they chose the thousand days and they, they, they began to worship their idols and follow after the neighboring nations to the point where finally... Prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel saw in a vision where a heavenly chariot pulls alongside Solomon's temple and the very glory of God lifts itself up from the most holy place and enters that chariot and off it goes and God says, if you will not worship me, then I will leave this house. And was it not just 
a few decades later that Nebuchadnezzar's army came in and took down that glorious temple brick by brick by brick. The nation of Israel failed to be true worshipers. But God did not fail in keeping his covenant promise because you see, God knew that there would be a greater temple that would come. But this temple would not be a house made of bricks. This temple would have flesh and blood. And the Apostle John said, I saw him. This word who became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us. And when Jesus entered into Herod's temple and he saw it being uh, 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 dealt with so treacherously and sinfully and he, and he cleared it out, and he said, how dare you treat the house of God like this? And, and the Pharisee said, how dare you? Who do you think you are? And he looked at them and he said, destroy this temple and it will be rebuilt in three days. And he was not talking about a building he was talking about a body because when Jesus came, now we have the greater temple, the temple that invites us in, the temple that invites us to build our lives upon him, that he might be the foundation and we might build our lives upon him. So that the point where, where we can say now in the new covenant as worshipers of Jesus Christ, better one day with Jesus than a thousand days without him. Better one day to know and to worship my living God, Jesus Christ, than all the days that I spent not knowing him. And so we, because of Jesus, you see, we have the promise of these blessings now and forever. The blessed life when we finally realize what it means to gather with God's people to worship. The blessed life, when we also, in our times of sorrow, experience moving from strength to strength. And the blessed life, when we trust that the Lord will provide for us, no matter what, Christ has made His way possible for us to receive the blessing of gathered worship. And Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for this musician who under the inspiration of your spirit has provided this for us so that we can now know what it means to be a true worshiper, that we can know how imperative it is for us to gather and to move from strength to strength and to trust you for grace and for glory. Bless these dear people. In Jesus' name, amen.